is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. Should Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas call it quits, resign, give up his robe? The calls are getting louder. We go in-depth. Still to come, we talk of one of the actors in the marvelous Mrs. Maisel about the show's final season. And a local college student helps her classmates because she's really good at using TikTok. How good? Very good. And we'll find out how good she is later in the show. But we begin with Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. There's now a comparison to a former justice who resigned more than 50 years ago. Alan Pusey is the senior editor of the Texas Law Book. He's been writing about the Supreme Court for a very long time. Alan, thanks for being with us. Uh, pleasure. Thanks for having me. We're talking, I guess, about uh, Justice uh, Abe Fortas, yes? Yes. So tell us very briefly about what happened with him and why there is any analogy, if there is, with Clarence Thomas. Actually, there's there's considerable similarity in that uh, both kind of involve patrons of a sort. Um, with uh, Thomas, of course, it's Harlan Crow, and with uh, um, Abe Fortas, it was Lewis Wolfson, who was a uh, um, a corporate raider back in the day before that became a popular term. Uh, Wolfson uh, uh, managed to. Uh, have a consultation agreement with uh, Abe Fortas while he was sitting on the Supreme Court. He was already on the court. And uh, while he was uh, under investigation by the SEC, it turned out that uh, Fortas had a uh, contract with Wolfson that gave him $20,000 a year uh, for the rest of his life. Uh, the problem was that Wolf was, Wolfson was under investigation by the SEC and actually got indicted during the period when uh, uh, Fortas was on the court. And uh, that was a considerable embarrassment to Fortas, who had been nominated by uh, Lyndon Johnson to become chief justice. And so and so in the, in, in the end, uh, just to cut to the uh, chase, Alan, in the end, he resigned. Oh, yes. <laughs> So haven't big difference so far. Uh, haven't the ethical standards uh, that the, the problems that we have now been brewing for a long time? Given that uh, uh, ethical standards for Supreme Court justices were really kind of a kind of a just kind of an unspoken agreement, and there are no hard and fast rules when it comes to uh, situations like this. So, granted, you know things get to the level of being illegal, but underneath that, there's a lot of unethical behavior, and nobody's really watching the watchers. There's a lot of truth to that, and uh, uh, part of the problem is that a lot of this is left up to the press. In fact, uh, in Fortas's case, it was Life magazine that exposed the relationship. Uh, Fortas had a lot of enemies in the Senate at the time, and because of his nomination, there was a lot of investigation, and it came out in that, but there there was nothing uh, that was reported by Fortas before then. Uh, That's very similar to the circumstances we're seeing now. But is one of the big differences here, Alan, is that in the days of Abe Fortas, uh, the Congress, Republicans and Democrats, were much more unified in their uh, notions that Abe Fortas needed to go, whereas here it's hard to imagine a Republican-dominated House uh, wanting that to happen. 
I, I, I think that's a problem with the uh, body politic in general. I think we've lost a sense of shame about what we put up with in public life anymore. Um, I think the the um, events of the the last five or ten years have uh, really sort of exposed the fact that we've eroded uh, our sense of honor and uh, decency and even what's legal uh, for political power and uh, uh, holding on to that power. Briefly, then, is it fair to say there are no standards then? There are standards. They're just being ignored. <laughs> okay. That is the final word. Thank you so much, Alan Busey, uh, senior editor of the Texas Law, but covering the Supreme Court for a long time. It's an interesting comment. There are yeah. standards. They're, They're just, just being, being ignored. ignored. Right now, though, the man charged with leaking all of those classified Pentagon documents appeared in federal court today in Boston. This whole case, though, raises questions about security clearances and whether the current safeguards to try to prevent leaks need to be changed. Ken Gray is a retired FBI special agent and professor at the University of New Haven. Ken, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. So it does seem as if uh, just about anybody can get their hands on this nation's, uh, at least at the level of top secret, I know that there are levels that are even more secret than top secret, but at least top secret information, and disseminate it as they please on social media for the entire world to see. And what is amazing, to me anyway, is that it seemed to catch the White House and the FBI and the CIA and the NSA all by surprise, because this has been going on for a month or more. Yeah, this this really is a very strange situation. Uh, this this young airman here, uh, Jack Texera, uh, met, took advantage of his access to a space with classified information. I do not believe that his classification level and his need to have access to these documents actually provided him with uh, physical access. I think instead his job provided him access to a space that had classified material in it, and he took advantage of that. Copied, uh, took the documents out of that space, the secure, uh, a special compartmented information facility, the SCIF, took it out, copied it, and put it back, maybe, maybe not. But I think it was his physical access to the space and not his, uh, his real access to this material that is a, a question. Yeah, because one of the questions we had is how is somebody like that given access to these documents? And as you were explaining, if the, if this is the case, so it's not even having access to the documents, it's having physical access to being able to grab the documents. So what can the military do to kind of keep that from happening in the future? What can they lock down? So it's, it's not unlike uh, in an office space having the cleaning crew coming in and gathering up material from off your desk or out of your file cabinets and then taking advantage of that. Same type of thing happened in this case with the, a uh, skip is a special compartmented uh, information facility, a place where you have to store classified information. And uh, there needs to be tighter control of people going in and out of the skip to make sure that they do not have any documents with them when they leave that space. Uh, when when something like this similar happened with uh, with Snowden, Snowden was capturing information from the NSA and taking it out. Well, he was taken out electronically. 
they uh, changed the way in which documents are, were able to be downloaded because of that. In this particular case, uh, this was physical documents that were being removed and, and copied in another location, his, his mother's home in the kitchen there, being photographed in his mother's home in the kitchen. So uh, there have to be a tightening up of the, the skiff area to stop people from taking physical documents, maybe even having a security officer there reviewing what material do you take out of the space. Let, 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 let me, it's let, going to make it uncomfortable. Ron, let, let me throw two things at you, Ken, and, and, and get your reaction to that. Uh, okay. When 9-11 happened, as you know, there was a lot of criticism that there wasn't enough sharing among intelligence agencies about stuff that we knew beforehand, and perhaps that contributed to what happened on 9-11. Then if you go ahead a good number of years later with the invasion of Iraq— on the uh, pretext of weapons of mass destruction, which turned out not to be the case. There was also criticism that there wasn't adequate sharing of what different intelligence agencies knew. So isn't it the case that because of those two incidents, there was by design a more free-flowing exchange of information among various intelligence agencies so that in the event another catastrophe were to befall the United States, no one would start pointing fingers and saying, oh, you didn't tell us about that and you kept this to yourself. And are we now not seeing the downside to that? So the free flow of information is supposed to be free flow of information to people who have a need to know and have access to that material. Uh, Tashira, in this case, was not in that loop. He did not have a need to know that information to have access to that material. Again, going back to my example, this is the cleaning crew person. Uh, he's the person who sets up the computer networks. He uh, sets up the hub. He's there for the physical equipment inside this space, but he's not there to actually have his hands on the documents. So he would not be part of that uh, sharing of information uh, process. Thanks so much, uh, Ken Gray, retired FBI special agent, professor at the University of New Haven. The fifth and final season of the uh, popular show The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel drops today on Amazon Prime. With us now is award-winning actress Caroline Aaron, who plays Midge Maisel's ex-mother-in-law. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm delighted to be here. Now, my wife and I are huge fans of the show. Charles uh, is familiar with the show. So for Charles, uh, give him a quick rundown of why he should catch up on the show and watch it now. Oh, you mean he hasn't watched it yet? Oh, no, he's seen it, I'm sure. Just little glimpses. I've got so yeah. much on my plate that my plate's breaking. He's a very busy man. <laughs> I know, and there's a lot of content out there. I'm like you. I don't have enough time to watch all the TV I want, but you're going to going to love it because it's beautiful to look at. It's well acted. It's well written. And it's hilariously funny. What is it that as a performer drew you to other than obviously a paycheck, but, but what drew you to that particular show? I, I mean, there must have been a time when you looked at uh, the script or your agent uh, let you know about it and you had to go thumbs up, thumbs down, right? Yeah, well, for me, it was the Gilmore Girls because I have a daughter who has watched the Gilmore Girls on a loop constantly for years. And she kept saying to me, Mommy, if the mother and grandmother on this show had a baby, it would be you. And she loved <laughs> this show so much. When they told me that Amy Sherman Palandino was creating this new series, I said, I'll do it. And they went, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't you want to read it? And I thought, if I'm going to get all this currency with my daughter, I'm in. And I knew how talented 
this group was. Plus, Tony Shalhoub and I have been friends for 35 years. We lived around the corner from each other in L.A., and Tony came by one day and said, I'm going to New York to do a new series. So when they called me, which was after Tony, and said, well, I, I interested in doing it, I wanted to follow Tony to New York, and I would follow Amy anywhere. Now, uh, Amy is uh, famous uh, for the Gilmore Girls, and uh, shows like that, and this one, Marvelous Ms. Maisel, ha- have a very high words-to-minute ratio. How hard is it to get all that dialogue out that fast? Well, it's you have to get used to it. I guess it's like, you know, when you go to the gym and all of a sudden 20 minutes goes by so much faster. Um, after a while, you get used to it. But a normal, let's say, our television show is a 60-page script. They say a minute a page. And these scripts are 90 pages. And wow. they still last an hour. So it gives you an idea of how much rapid-fire dialogue we're doing. And um, I'm very lucky. I can memorize lines very easily. But on this show, we have to be letter perfect. And when there's a lot of people in a scene, you don't want to be the one that holds everything up. So you just really, you know, kind of put your nose to the grindstone and make sure you're prepared. You know, when uh, a show ends that people uh, have really taken to and have watched a lot, uh, I know, like, I'm a big uh, Succession uh, fan, which, of Me course, too. yeah, sadly, is coming to a, to a, to an end. Uh and and I know as a as a viewer, uh, you have a lot invested in it, and and there's a sense of sadness. You 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 know maybe oh. it's time for it to end, but you don't want it to end. When you're in a show and you've been attached to a show as a performer in it, do you at the end of its run uh, have that same sense of sort of bittersweet uh, sadness, or do you kind of go oh, you know yes. over and done on to the next project? Well, I think it just depends on the show, but in this particular case. Today was declared Maisel Day in Manhattan. They put a pink carpet down Fifth Avenue, and Amy rang the bell at Wall Street to start the markets off this morning, and they had vintage cars all along Fifth Avenue. And so we just came. I just came back from our celebration, and it was very – everybody was very teary-eyed. We don't want this to be over. This is a great group, and we really enjoy one another. And, you know, in a, in a career – this comes along once in a lifetime. I mean, it is so excellent. And everywhere you look is an A-plus person. One of the, design, one you know, of the things I act. like about the show is is the uh, the mid-century aesthetic of it. And, and the look is so well done. Do you feel immersed in that world when you're filming it? Yes. I always say, you know, the costumes and the production design do a lot of work for us. Because the minute you walk, you know, onto a set, you're walking back in time. You really feel that way. I mean... I really miss my mother every time I put on those clothes because I remember her being dressed up all the time like that. And um, it's 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 so authentic that it really is a head start on the acting. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel drops today on Amazon Prime. That's uh, award-winning actress uh, Caroline Aaron plays Midge Maisel's ex-mother-in-law. Hmm. Yeah, I, I will eventually catch up with it. you got to catch up with it at some point. But the great thing about the streaming is it's going to be there. Forever. You know, just because forever the show's ever, over never. doesn't mean that you can't go back and watch it again. No, but by the time I do, there will be like 10,000 other things <laughs> to, to watch. <laughs> Too, much. It's like Too never, much. It never ends. You're listening to KNX In-Depth, along with Rob Archer, that's him. I'm Charles Feldman, that's me.
If you think that uh, young people today waste too much time on social media, you kids get up and lawn, uh, we have somebody here to tell you how it can pay off. I'm in favor of anything that will pay off. Yes. So long as it pays, that's the key, right, yes. Rob? If it pays off, right. we're in favor of it. Money is a very good thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Sylvie Bastardo is, uh, I got that right, didn't I, Bastardo? Yeah, you did. There we go. She's a <laughs> sophomore at Chapman University in Orange. She's a sort of heroine of her marketing class for completing a challenge that her professor basically thought was impossible. Sylvia is with us now, as is that professor, Matt Prince. Both of you, thanks for being with us. So uh, let's start with you, Matt. Uh, so what was your idea that you thought was impossible that it turns out was not? Yeah, the goal was to really get a, a real-life example of marketing and social media and the power of influence. And so I put together the syllabus and imagined uh, it would be a fun way to engage the class and something that would excite them a little bit more. I thought I would, I wanted it to be possible. I definitely didn't think it would be done within 48 hours, and I guess that's where, that's where Sylvie comes in. And what was your part of this? What did you, what did you do that was so impressive? I'm not sure it was so impressive, but mm -hmm. I just took a video of my – class like the classroom of him presenting the challenge and a panned over to my friend and then just decided to post the quick video to tiktok with just like a, that just a quick video it was super fast um posted it with a song that was like really popular like gaining a lot of popularity and that was about it but it was also a challenge right i mean there was a message in the video that would get people you hoped anyway to subscribe right or to like yeah, I mean, the the goal was to showcase the the power of virality, right? You don't need to be a celebrity to drive, uh, you know, going big in social. And so it was actually a challenge. It was the students versus myself. So if the students were able to get a video filmed in the class or about the class up to a million views first, I'd cancel the final. If I was able to get a video filmed in the class or about the class up to a million views, uh, I would add an extra assignment to the syllabus. Oh, so there, that's mean. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. mean. <laughs> really? Evil taskmaster over here. <laughs> did, did you – and my guess is – because you thought it was impossible, right? You had those extra assignments ready, right? I mean, it, it's, it's not a tough class. So, I mean, it would be easy to kind of add in an additional piece of it. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, I, 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 again, I just thought it would be kind of a cool thing to engage the students. Even if it wasn't accomplished, it would still be a fun thing to do or at least try to do. Uh, but, yeah, definitely didn't imagine it would happen so quickly. Now, something going viral is very hard for a lot of people to get their heads around who don't live in that world. Uh, for example, I, as an, I'm an old man, so I have a YouTube channel. You might remember YouTube, the things the old people are into. I thought you had a telegraph unit. I had a telegraph unit, and I beat messages to I Abraham thought. Lincoln. Yes. Uh, but no, I have, I have a YouTube channel. I now put some videos up there, and it would be like, I was really happy if I put something up and would go back a week later. Oh, my God, I got 300 views. It was great. Then one day, uh, my wife and I were at Disney. I, I filmed something at Disney, and the next thing I know, a week later, look at it, 600,000 views. And I'm like, what happened? Why does something – why do things go viral? What is it about it? I'm going to ask you, Sylvie, first, because you probably have a better understanding of what goes viral and why. I have no idea. I <laughs> honestly you. think it's <laughs> a bit you. of luck. <laughs> well, but, but I, I, let me ask that same sort of question to Matt, uh, because you're into marketing, right? Uh, and yet you didn't think that she would get a, a million, right? That was the, the goal, a million followers. Uh why did you think that wasn't going to happen, and what do you think occurred so that it did happen? 
Yeah, I mean, I envisioned that it would be a semester-long kind of project that we could work through the videos that were performing poorly or were performing well and learn from you know those things and, and gain traction for videos to eventually get to that that level. Um, you know, I think what this video did really well was capture a real life moment. Um, it also captured just, I think, the engagement of other college students. So if you look at the comments, if you look at the things that people were saying, it was, hey, we got you, Sylvie. We're, we don't want you to take a final. We, we want to support students. It was students helping students. And so with TikTok, I mean, those algorithms, the more you comment, the more you like, the bigger it grows and the more feeds it'll find itself on. Uh, and so that's, I think, what happened. And it moved incredibly quickly. And I don't think any of us expected that. There's a bad side to this, Matt. I, we live in, a, in a, a world of disinformation. We live in a world where all kinds of crazy things get viral. And uh, I'm wondering if this kind of rang an alarm bell in you, aside from the fun part of this, that how easy it was for one of your students to get something on a social media platform and get a million plus likes in a very short period of time. Yeah, I mean, with great power comes great responsibility, and I think it is a good reflection of the world that we're in, whether we like it or not. Uh, and I think as educators, our job is to figure out the best way to prepare students for their future, and this is the future that they're going into. So uh, whether they take it in as part of their job and they're part of digital marketing or social media or they're just consumers of it, you know, it's going to impact them. And it's uh, it's nice to or it's important to at least kind of see that power uh, uphand. Luckily, this was a very positive example, like you mentioned. Uh, but, yeah, it can it can easily go the other way. And, Sylvia, with that in mind, uh, realizing how much power there is in making something go viral on TikTok, uh, how important is it to you that that you are being honest and being a, uh, forthright in what you put on social media? I think it's really important. I think you have to put out, like, the what is like authentically you and be honest to with everything you're posting to everyone and it, it looks like you're doing tiktok right now yes you're I'm making a tiktok right, right now, now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I i'm curious because you know we had on uh, yesterday a a social media influencer uh, who is not not doing it now but you know was making a fair amount of money uh by doing that and getting lots of followers on uh, places like tiktok sylvia have you thought about doing that and cashing in I've definitely thought about like trying to post more videos, and I have been posting more videos since my viral one, but I don't know if it's something I would be into doing like, kind of as an influencer, but definitely would love to make the money they're making. <laughs> There's that money thing again. I'm telling you. It always comes back to money. Let's There's a big it, yeah. future in money. I, I'd look into it if I were you. <laughs> uh, so what is the draw, Sylvie, to uh, TikTok? What is it about TikTok that, that do you prefer that? platform to other platforms and why it's definitely my favorite i think it can keep me entertained for the longest like as a viewer it's just so easy to scroll for hours and the content is like perfectly tailored to what right. i'm looking for and, and what do you make of uh government efforts to kind of ban it from government used phones and and raise alarm bells about it do you worry about that it's definitely concerning like it getting potentially banned but i do agree i don't like it should be on a government phone but i don't see the harm of like a, me having it Matt, uh, do you uh, sometimes wonder what it is that uh, perhaps people younger than yourselves, your, yourself, your students, what their attraction is to social media? And do you worry that they're using it uh, perhaps as a substitute for actual person-to-person -person human relations? Sure. I mean, I, I think uh, the the 
the uh, I think what people find so attractive about it is just the ability that you can go viral. Anyone has the potential of going viral at any minute. That fame, that awareness, I think, is obviously something that drives. Uh, and social media, sure. I, I think um, you know I, I'm a parent. You know, I have those concerns, of course, as, as my children continue to grow. Um, but I think that's where great communication comes into play, making sure that you're very transparent with the, the the challenges that come with it, and and that you have conversations to make sure that self-esteem is there, and that you're not dependent on likes, you're not dependent on uh, followers, but you have that as a way to and to get entertained and to entertain others. Because I think we've seen so much greatness come out of things like TikTok. I mean, the support that's given to small businesses and the support that it's given to individuals raising awareness for things. It's it's been great to see. So I think that's the great side that I I would love people to pay a little bit more attention to. Of course, the challenges that come with it, and I think the concerns are, are valid in, in many aspects of it, but uh, so many great things come of it as well. Who was it that made the famous statement that in the future everybody will be famous for 15 minutes? Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol. Uh, do you think Andy Warhol had any idea about social media making that come true in a bigger way than he ever thought possible? I mean, I don't think anyone could have expected this to to be where it is today. Uh, you know, and I don't know where it's going to be in in the future. So I think uh, the cool thing about for for students and for people like Sylvie is the jobs that they're going to have in the next five years don't exist yet. And I think that's uh, that's scary, but it's so also amazing. How do you train somebody for that? You can you can kind of at least train in the moment. You know, I think that's an important part of uh, you know bringing in real speakers and teaching real life situations. You know, we don't have a book in this class because I think a lot of time in our world or profession, as soon as a book is published, it automatically goes out of date because it moves so quickly. Yeah. Uh, so I think you can study what's happening now, look at where the trends are going, and and take a, your best shot at it, uh, knowing that it's not, you're probably not going to get it right, but that's okay. Sophie, you you were telling me during the break that you are thinking of going to law school. Yeah, I am. yeah. Do you see yourself as you get older and 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 go down that career path somehow using social media still? And and how would you use that? Do you think? I'm not sure. I feel like it can be a difficult combination of law and social media, but I feel like there's doctor influencers, dentists, and like there's so many random categories of professions that are influencers. I feel like I could definitely combine the two skills. Well, there you go. The future is here, and we're looking at it. Thank you so much. Uh, Sylvie Bastardo from Chapman University and her marketing professor, Matt Prince. Thank you so much for joining us. Charles, that's going to do it for uh, this week's editions of uh, In-Depth. We had a lot of fun. Uh, we've got to check in with you on your foot situation. Yes, my foot will talk to you next week. Yes, we're going to talk to uh, Charles' foot. And if you it's don't know what that's vi- about... It's it, going to go viral. It's going to go... Charles' foot <laughs> is going viral. <laughs> Stay very far away. And we're going to hire Sylvie as, <laughs> and, and Matt to do PR for my foot. So, so this is for In-Depth for today. We'll be back Monday at 1 p.m.